The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down. Oh, you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. It's Friday, baby. It is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. You are welcome to call in 877-377-4373. We're going to have fun today. I'm going to try to churn through this massive stack of headlines of Chris's that I've ignored all week long, as I always do. I'll get to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. Talk a little politics. I'll probably leave that for the headlines Chris has handed me, but first, let's get dark out here. Dark. In one of the greatest stories that's never been told in movie form. You know, we talk a lot about different history stories. And some of them, I think to myself, they could make a movie of that out of that. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe it's too complicated. Maybe they'd need too much. But this, this is true. This happened. 1628, the Netherlands. You have a spice trade. I have attempted to explain this in the past in a way that would make sense to everybody because we can't make sense of it now. Spice trade? 
It's just totally out of our wheelhouse because of where we live. What do you do when you need spices? Head on down to the grocery store and head to the spice section. And you have, you're staring at what? 200 different spices, at least. Anything you want. Salt, pepper, whatever, cayenne, anything you want. That is not the case for most of history. Most of history, you're bound to what you have around you, especially if you don't have a ton of money. What? Okay, well, what can you grow? Oh, you can grow some corn. Oh, good, you're eating corn. Oh, that'll be good. We'll just put a little salt and pepper on it. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't have salt. You don't have pepper. You're going to pull it out of the ground, and you're going to boil that crap, and you're going to eat it. And contrary to popular belief, they had functioning tongues back then. All it would take would be once, and you pull that corn out of the ground and put some salt and pepper on it and be, um, wow, that is a thousand times better than what we had before. Understand? And so... The travel of spices, the trade of spices became enormous, enormous business. And I had made the comparison before saying the spice trade would be equivalent to oil today. And honestly, the more I dug into it, even that's not drastic enough for me to explain to you. It would be more like cocaine. It's that lucrative. You know how these guys would make, you hear these stories about, and I don't know what the big drug of choice is today, but you hear these stories about guys in the 70s and 80s, they'd make a thousand percent on cocaine, those kind of profit margins, that's spices. They're hard to get, everybody wants them, but you're in the Netherlands, you've got to go to India. <laughs> You've got to go to the Philippines. Um, you can't take United. Do you know how you have to get to India, to the Philippines, which, you know, the East Indies? Do you know how you have to get there? By boat, baby. These are, we are way, way, way out of the Silk Road era. You remember that uh, whole thing Genghis Khan essentially started Marco Polo fame where you travel across land. You don't have to do that anymore, so it's not that bad, but you have to take a boat. Now, we need to have a little discussion about, quote, taking a boat. It's a large boat, often. There's more than one boat. You didn't, I mean, we like to picture this huge sailboat. Sailing by itself through the middle of the ocean. No, that's a good way to get yourself killed. There were wrecks. There were attacks. You're not just the Netherlands. You're not the only game in town as far as spices go, especially at this point in time. Spain and Portugal had the spice stuff on lockdown. You're new to the game. So you, with other ships, would hop on a ship And it is really, really, really hard, boring, miserable living. And the ship we're talking about here specifically is the Batavia, so we might as well just go into that. It holds 300-some people, and there were 300-some people on it. And it holds all manner of people because you don't waste a voyage like that. Again, you're not there and back in a day. This is going to take... Nine months to get from the Netherlands to the East Indies. Nine months. Remember, the East Indies are just north of Australia. That's where we're talking about here. And you're going around Africa to give you some frame of reference. And there are all kinds of people on the ship. There are there's just the ship's crew alone. You have the captain. You're going to need to remember his name. I'm going to give you more names than normal today. Don't worry. I will make it easy. You know how I hate names because it gets lost. People forget them. The captain of the ship, his name was Jakobs. Remember that. You had the captain and the captain's crew. They're the people that have to do all the different things you do on a ship. You have soldiers on the ship. This is going to come into play too. Why are there soldiers on the ship? 
Well, they're not actually there for the ship specifically. Remember, you're heading over to a different part of the world where the Netherlands, they have bases, they have garrisons, they have other soldiers who need relief that have been stationed in some other place for a long time. You're sending new soldiers to replace those soldiers. You have normal, everyday civilians. For whatever reason, they're leaving the Netherlands, maybe to start a new life, like a westward expansion. That's going to come into play, too. And you have some highfalutin, high-society types, maybe a fancy merchant who's trying to establish a new shop somewhere. You don't waste a foot of space on a ship that size if you're making a big voyage like that. It's a big deal. You need a big ship. You need lots of them. And then you have to supply all these people. And the supplies, it's an ugly situation, man. On top of the money, you need a ton of silver. They're bringing silver over there to give the silver to the people who are there. In exchange, they get the spices to bring back. You have replacements for food or replacements for clothes, shoes, medicines, such as it was back then. But the food situation was really not good. Your quote-unquote fresh water, because, you know, you can't drink seawater. Your fresh water oftentimes had to have the worms strained out of it before you drank it. Remember, we are not in the age of refrigeration. Your fresh water is thrown in a bucket, a barrel, and kept in the sweltering heat as you sail around Africa. Your meat, your diet mostly consists of meat because it keeps better, is just essentially coated in salt to keep it from going bad. It was the only way they could keep it from going bad. Fresh fruit? <laughs> yeah, there's none of that. Keep in mind, it's a nine-month voyage. Hardly any resupply on the way. You took into account, the trip was so brutal, you took into account that you would lose 20, 30 people every trip just dead from scurvy. Your eyes would bleed and your gums would go soft and you would die a miserable death. They didn't know then what we know now. They were dying of scurvy because they didn't have vitamin C. They didn't have fresh fruit. The human body would break down. Oh, it gets grosser. Hang on. need a good night's sleep you need one tonight i need one tonight you need one tomorrow you need one every night i mean the the health benefits alone from getting a good night's sleep let alone the fact you're in a better mood it's it's gotta happen and you have to stop doing that thing you've been doing that thing i've done far too many times trying solutions that really just try to mask the problem oh, i'm gonna just, i'm gonna just take some sleeping pills well that doesn't do anything. You still feel groggy the next day. What you need is an ebb sleep. An ebb sleep specifically targets the reason you can't sleep. Those racing thoughts going through your head. And it does it without drugs. It's a wearable, drug-free solution. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. And use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get you 25 bucks off. Absolutely. Jesse Kelly returns next. The worst part about the food, the hard tack which you'd call it bread. And this is so gross. Just cover your ears for 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it. They actually knew by how each bite tasted whether they were eating parts of a cockroach or a worm. Not even joking. They said the cockroach tasted kind of like sausage 
and you knew if you ate a bite of it, you got a little cockroach in there. The bathroom situation. Remember I said 300-some people? Well, the captain kind of gets his own thing, and the other fancy-schmancy people had one too, and there were two bathrooms shared by everybody. When I say bathroom, I'm talking hole on the deck. And there's one other aspect to all this. This is the Dutch East India Company. It is their ship. It is their ships. There are seven of them. The Batavia was one of them. And the Dutch East India Company is not going to allow seven of their ships to take off with all that money and go get spice and turn around and come back without some serious representation on those ships. And that guy's name, there were two of them, the guy in charge, the Dutch East India Company guy, remember this, Pelshart. His second in command was Cornelius. You are really going to remember that name. So remember, the skipper's name was Jacobs. The Dutch East India guy who's kind of over everyone is Pelshart. The second in command of Pelshart is Cornelius. Got all that? And they take off. Here's the issue. Already. One, there is a beautiful woman on the ship. This is before the age of pictures. I don't believe pictures have been invented at all. I'm only going off of what we have multiple accounts. Apparently, this woman was drop dead gorgeous, and everybody talked about how beautiful she was. She was married, but her husband wasn't on the ship, and she's some high class type who had a maid. And this woman was apparently a stunner. Stunner. I believe her name was Cratia. I think that's right. I'll I'll go with that for now. That may be wrong. I think her name is Cratia. So that's already going to be an issue. Anybody who's ever been in an environment where there are a ton of men and not an equal amount of beautiful women knows how that situation ends. It ends in tension. Biology is what it is. The skipper of the ship, you remember, his name was Jacobs. He hated the Dutch East India Company guy. His name is Pelshirt. So they take off, and they are heading for the Cape of Good Hope. That is the southern tip of Africa. You have to sail from the Netherlands, clear down around Africa, and then take off up through the Indian Ocean to get where you're going. And when I say take off, again, we like to picture this this ship with wind just carrying it like it's in the clouds. They were traveling about two miles an hour. That's how fast you walk through the mall if you're sauntering and looking at things on the way by. And it's freezing, and then it's boiling hot. Getting a pretty good idea of what life is like. And this tension between Pelshirt and Jakobs starts to get real bad. There's incident after incident. Not going to go into all of them for our purposes today. Jakobs had a bad drinking problem and was a bad drunk. He would get drunk. He would do dumb things. Pelshirt would dress him down in front of everybody, embarrass him. They hated each other. And then Jakobs had his eyes on that beautiful woman. She rejected him, was a married woman, rejected his advances. Well, I've seen the way Marines act on deployment. He then moved right on from the beautiful woman to the beautiful woman's maid. Now, if you are a beautiful woman's maid, kind of living with the rest of the peons on a ship like that, and the captain of the ship makes advances towards you, that doesn't sound that unappealing when you can make your way out of the dark depths of a smelly ship like that and stay in the captain's corners, right? Better food, your own bathroom, wine, liquor, 
I know I'm making her sound shallow, but I want you to understand. That's quite an upgrade from a maid, right? It's quite an upgrade. She pounced on it. See ya. I'm out. I'm going to go hang with the captain for a while. I don't know whether there's some physical attraction there, but I'm going to go hang with the captain for a while. The, the eating's a lot better up there. So she takes off. And one day, one day, Jakobs is standing on the deck of the ship. And he is approached by Cornelius. Remember, Cornelius is Pelshirt's number two. And Jakobs suggests mutiny. Suggests killing Pelshirt. Now, you have to understand this. Even mentioning the word mutiny back then, even a slight indication that you wanted to do a mutiny, let's just say this, you'll be lucky if the best thing that happens to you is they just chuck you overboard to go drown in the ocean or be eaten by the sharks who often followed ships like this. They would most likely torture you first. They took mutiny so seriously, so seriously, it was ugly if you were found out that 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 Jakobs even suggested this to Cornelius was shocking Cornelius doesn't say no though and they begin to form a plan to get rid of Pelcher they try to start recruiting people on this ship and you need to get this a lot of the sailors on these ships all the sailors most of the sailors I'm not sure what a fair way to put it is They're the dregs of society, brother. They are paid almost nothing to live the way I already described to you as their life. That's their life. What kind of a human being would sign on for something like that? The kind of human being without any other options. Almost undoubtedly somebody with a criminal past Almost undoubtedly people who are at the lower end of the IQ pool. If that sounds harsh to you, tough, that's life. You find the absolute worst jobs in society that pay absolutely nothing. You are not going to find the most capable, talented people. You are going to find the people there with no options. And so when you're Cornelius and you're Jacobs and you're trying to form a crew for mutiny you are going to find some receptive people when you tell them, here's the plan, we get rid of Pelshirt. We have a lot of silver on this ship. We get rid of Pelshirt. We can become rich pirates. You remember the pirate show we did a few days ago? Understand, that's how so many pirates came to be. They had a mutiny. And once you have a mutiny, you can't ever join society again because you get executed. Let's toss Pelshirt overboard, have us a mutiny, get rich, roll on. So they start to separate from the other ships in the fleet. Not the end of the world, not uncommon. Start to slowly move away. And then things started to get a little ugly. You need to understand just how nefarious Jakobs and Cornelius are in their attempt to have this mutiny against Pelshirt. You remember that beautiful woman I told you about? Well, Pelshirt had his eyes on her too. Apparently, any guy who was straight had his eyes on her, and he had his eyes on her hard. So what Jakobs and Cornelius did is they had seven guys put on masks one night after dark, grab this woman, and 
it's not as bad as you think. I mean, it's really bad. They held her down, slapped her around a little, put feces on her, just really scared the daylights out of her and humiliated her. And the plan was simply this. They wanted Pelshirt to wake up the next day, find out about this, freak out, and punish everybody, which would get more people on their side for the, the mutiny. That was the plan. Now, when I say nefarious, I mean, that's dark, man. That's, that's Machiavellian. Clearly, the lady was rattled, but on they sailed. Now, we like to imagine when we're talking about ancient sailing ships and things like that, we like to imagine that they were all these, my goodness, all they did was they could look up at the stars, and actually if you hold your ring finger exactly one inch away from your index finger and put the tip of it on the Big Dipper, it'll show... People, a lot of these guys were totally guessing. And even the ones who weren't guessing... You are not in a ship with a motor. You are in a sailing vessel. You are at so much the mercy of the currents, the mercy of the winds. That's a long way of saying lots of times you don't know where you are. You think you have a good idea. You may have a general idea, but you don't know where you are. And they thought they were hundreds of miles away from the west coast of Australia. Ah, turns out they were not hundreds of miles away from the west coast of Australia. And when I say the west coast, I mean Australia was still way too far away. They couldn't see it. But there were islands out there. And not nice ones. Long story short, one night, crunch. The middle of the night is very, very difficult to see not only the islands, it's borderline impossible to see, even though they always had lookouts, you just had to, it's borderline impossible to see a massive coral reef structure that's underneath the water. And remember, these ships go deep underneath the water because they're so freaking heavy. And they grounded on on the coral reef. And once the sunlight came out, they realized, uh-oh, this is not good. When I say grounded, I mean ship is toast. That ship is not sailing on anymore. Now, you have on this ship a long vessel, about 40 feet long, kind of, I want to call it a lifeboat. It's not necessarily what it was, but it had one sail on it, 40 feet long. So you had the ability to get people on and off the ship. And that's what they began to do. About 20 people pretty much immediately jumped into the water because they can see this island, this really crappy island, and drowned. It's really funny for us to think about because most people know how to swim. You know how to swim. Most of you do. Uh, About one in seven of people actually knew how to swim back then, even sailors, people on the water. People were freaking out. They don't know what's happening. They jump in the water. They drown. And we started out with about 300 people. They start loading folks onto this boat and getting them over to the island. There are about four islands in this main area. That's going to come into play here in a moment. There are four islands, really, that they focused on, but they all land on this one. Only not everybody leaves the ship. About 40 dudes stay back on the ship, and these are... Cornelius, do you remember him? The sailors, the soldiers. Well, everyone else took off. The ship isn't really going down yet. It's certainly getting beaten up badly. But, okay, well, everyone's taking off, and they took a bunch of the supplies over there. But here we are. We are the dregs of society. We've never had anything in our lives. And now we find ourselves on the ship with a bunch of swords and muskets and... All the booze and some of the water and some of the food. So a bunch of the guys just decided they're going to stay on the ship and screw everybody else. They're going to stay on and get drunk and have a good time. At one point, the people on the island come back to the ship to try to grab some water. They almost got killed. Now, 
a decision has to be made. Eventually, the ship does break up. All the guys who were on it come to the island, including Cornelius, who was one of the last ones. Some say the last one off the ship. Cornelius also couldn't swim. The ship was breaking up, going down after eight days. He grabs that long pointy thing at the end of it. It breaks off. He falls in the water. I wish he died. Everyone else would eventually wish he died. However, of course, as is often the case, the guy did not die. Grabbed onto some stuff, paddled his little way onto shore. Now you have a situation. A bad situation. When I say island, you need to get the island from Castaway and Swiss Family Robinson out of your mind now. You can actually go Google this island right now if you want. You want to talk about sparse? There's nothing. There are shrubs. There's not a tree. There's nothing. And it's tiny. And you're surrounded by other islands that look like there's nothing. It sucks. And remember, you're in Australia. You have gale force winds in the winter. You have skin-melting heat in the summer. And these guys were all smart enough to know this. So Jakobs and Pelshirt, remember Jakobs, the captain who hated Pelshirt, they do get together and say, okay, staying here is not an option. We have got Got to go. Try for a rescue. They have this 40-foot vessel. This 40-foot vessel that is very much not made for the open ocean. But what choice do they have? The vessel was made for 40 people. They actually pile 48 of them in it. Including, I mean, a woman and her baby. We're, we're talking everybody. Everyone they could get. All basically... The vast stores of water and food, because they were going out of the ocean, ocean, open ocean. Pelshirt decides to join them with Jakobs, and they take off to go get a rescue. And now, well, now you've entered a living hell if you're still on the island. Because you have a man named Cornelius who knows his mutiny, his attempted mutiny is going to be found out. If that ship actually makes it back, if that ship makes it to rescue, he knows his mutiny is going to be found out and he's facing torture and death. Well, that's a problem. That's certainly an issue, but here's what else he knows. This is an extremely manipulative, influential people who already has muscle. He already has guys on his side, his fellow mutineers. He's surrounded by women and children and some other men, but not warriors. And some warriors. That's going to come into play here shortly. There were some soldiers, remember, who were going to garrison. So you're not facing with you're not faced with nothing but weakness, but you've got a lot of it. And you, as Cornelius, decide just, you know. To take command, because he would take command, it would be his station. He takes command of the island, and the first thing he does was take control of all the swords and the few muskets they have. And then hell began. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. Boomernaturals.com. Remember that amazing name because you're probably going to use them, well, for a while now. One, they have masks. I don't know if you've seen the news, but cities like L.A. already decided you are required to wear a mask. Required to wear a mask. Your employer They might require you to wear a mask coming up very, very shortly. Boomer Naturals has adult masks. They have kid masks. And they have a lot more than just face masks there. They have so many products, natural products, as you may have guessed from the name, that will improve your quality of life. Let's be honest. 
You put too many chemicals in your body. I put too many chemicals in my body. We need to start using more natural things, and Boomer Naturals is that for us. Go to BoomerNaturals.com, and don't forget to use the code JESSE20 at checkout. Get you 20% off every single order. Cornelius is not a stupid man. He's got some muscle. He does not have all the muscle. There are still plenty of soldiers on this island and sailors he doesn't control. There are plenty of people on this island who aren't necessarily comfortable with his command. So Webby Hay or so Cornelius has a decision. It's to figure out what to do. He has carpenters who are furiously making rafts. One of the first things he does. As he stops them. No, 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 no. We, we have all the rafts we need. He then starts to move people in mass, move people on these rafts who are not loyal to him off of his island onto other islands and leave them there. Saying, all right, you set up shop here and go look for water and food. We're going to run out. And he takes off. Takes another group of people, leaves them on this island. Takes a man, uh, just a private soldier. Guy's name is Webby Hayes. He's just a private, just a young dude, but he's a trained soldier. Takes him and some of these stronger men, and he knows he has to get rid of Webby Hayes. He has to get these guys away from him and his mutineers. So he takes them to their own island after his men scout that island and come back and tell Cornelius, yeah, this island sucks, dude. There's no water or food here. It sucks. He grabs Webby Hayes, his other men, and says, oh, we've got this good island for you. Go explore it. Goes and drops them all on this one. He comes back. He now is in firm command. He is... Well, he's a monster. Anybody who doesn't submit is oftentimes taken out. Sometimes one or two at a time, they are taken out in these little boats to go, quote, fishing with his other mutineers where they just toss them over the side or knife them in the back first and toss them over the side. The women are, you don't have to, well, use your imagination. The women on the ship did not have a great experience on the island. They were essentially kept in one little area to be used whenever somebody felt like using them. Remember the beautiful woman? She, nobody knows exactly what the circumstances are, was essentially wooed by Cornelius Against her will, not against her will. Again, remember the decision her maid made. I'm not defending her. I'm not indicting her. I wasn't there. I can't imagine how the human psyche would be ravaged in a situation like this. But Cornelius would do things like bring her to his tent and offer her a bottle of wine. And I don't judge other people because... Let's be honest, I'm pretty much the worst person on the planet and admit it. What decision would you make in that time? You can go be tossed in the stable of other women who are routinely abused by anyone or everyone, or you can suck it up willingly or otherwise and just belong to Cornelius. That's the decision she made. Should be noted later on. Well, we'll get to that. The other islands were slowly dying off as they ran out of food and water, and Cornelius was steadily killing anybody 
who didn't give them loyalty. One night in maybe the worst story I can imagine because I think about what the children went through. One night, there was a priest on the island and his family. There were nine of them in total. And this priest really kept to himself. He wasn't a mutineer. He wasn't some rebel. He just kept to himself. The priest had a 21-year-old single daughter. Not a great situation to be in. The priest was invited to come dine with Cornelius and some of his lieutenants, and he was told to bring his daughter along. I have to assume by this point in time, unless they're both complete morons, they have a pretty good idea this is not so he can go pray over them. They have to know this is ugly. While Cornelius was dining with the priest and his lieutenants were dining with the priest and his 21-year-old daughter, Cornelius's men snuck into the tent of the seven remaining family members of the priest, extinguished the lamp so they were in the dark, and beat and stabbed all seven of them to death, including a young boy. Thought about not even telling you that part because it's so dark, but you need to understand the kind of evil we're dealing with here, the kind of evil man is capable of. But the story is not all villains. You remember Webby Hayes? Remember that private Webby Hayes, young dude? They sent him to the other island because he's just going to starve to death and die of thirst with his other soldiers. Good thing we got rid of them. Hmm. Webby Hayes ain't playing that game. Webby Hayes. Webby Hayes does his own scouting of his own island where he was sent to starve. Where his men were sent to starve and die of thirst so they couldn't be a problem. Uh, yeah, Webby Hayes turns out he landed on the gold mine. He landed on the island. He found fresh wells of fresh water. He found sea lions and birds to kill. He and his other strong young men, they start living high on the hog. And they start getting people who are, not many, but they start getting people who are escaping from Cornelius' island. So now, not only is Webby Hayes starting to make a good name for himself over there, he knows that he has essentially a demon and his buddies on the other island. And Webby Hayes knows eventually Cornelius and his group of thugs, they're going to try to come for us because we have all the water and food. Remember when I said this was going to be a good movie? So Webby Hayes starts making preparations. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Now I know you've been screaming at the radio. For at least the last 20 minutes saying, my goodness, tell me what happened to Pelcher and Jacobs. Did they make it? Did they drown in the ocean? The miracle of miracles. That crappy little ship with one sail made it 2,000 miles 
and they actually arrived at their original destination. They pulled in. Obviously, the Dutch East India Company had some hard questions for Pelshirt. Obviously, they locked up Jakobs for his mutiny. They pull Pelshirt in, and they tell him, Hey, idiot, where's our ship with all of our silver? And he says, We crashed. And they said, well, you're still an idiot. Go take that fast ship out there and some dudes uh, go back and get our ship. Remember, they don't know what's happening on the island. All they know is uh, that was about 30-some million dollars worth worth of silver in today's dollars. Go get it, please. Pelshirt grabs some dudes, hops on a ship, and sets sail. Now... This part is important. Remember the time frames we're talking about here, right? Remember the time frames. They're not in Australia and taking a four-hour plane ride up to up to the Indies. They're on sailing vessels. We measure time in weeks, months here. That's going to be important in a second. Let's go back to the islands now. So Cornelius knows he has to go get Webby Hayes and his men off of that island because he knows they have supplies now. He needs those supplies. And so he sends an assault force over there. Well, he didn't realize who he was dealing with. Remember when I said Webby Hayes was just a lowly private? Apparently this dude was... Somebody special. He was surrounded by other older, more experienced men. They just gave him the reins. Okay, this dude is a beast. He's in charge. He not only was put in charge, he built not one, but two forts on the island. Forts! He built them, anticipating an assault, including one that was a lookout fort so he could see Cornelius and his men coming. And of course, it works like a charm. He sees Cornelius and his men coming. Cornelius and his men land on the beach. And Webby Hayes and his dudes are there with clubs and all the weapons they'd made to beat them off. And they take off back into the sea. Now Webby Hayes knows they want to attack. They will be back. And Cornelius figures out, well, this is an issue. I don't have enough dudes to go get Webby Hayes and his group of young men off of that island. However, we are about to die of starvation and thirst because it turns out our island sucks and I put him on the island that's really good. I know what I'll do. I'll go over there with some dudes and act like I want to be his friend and trade with him and then I'll eventually attack him and stab him and kill him and take over that island too. And he puts together his crew. Cornelius and five bodyguards. Heads on over to Webby Hayes' island, waving the white flag. Hey, man, not here to start trouble. All that stuff before, we were just desperate for water. I think we should trade. Webby Hayes goes down with his men, sits down with Cornelius, and they begin to talk and drink wine, and they work out a deal. Cornelius is going to give Webby Hayes some shoes and clothes. As you can imagine, they're in tatters by now. Webby Hayes is going to give Cornelius some water and food only. Cornelius is there to kill Webby Hayes. But Webby Hayes knew it all along. Webby Hayes, I know you're already cheering. I I was too as as I read the story. Webby Hayes seizes Cornelius and his men immediately executes Cornelius's five bodyguards, as he should have, drags Cornelius back to the fort where he has a massive pit dug and has Cornelius tossed into it where they eventually throw him birds so he can pluck the feathers and give them back to them so they can cook the birds. Only now, as is often the case, There's an even more capable man in charge of the island of mutineers. They all didn't give up their mutineering ways because, remember, you don't have an option if you're a mutineer. 
you not only have to kill Webby Hayes, you have to make sure if a rescue vessel ever shows up, you kill all of them too. You are a pirate, Jack. You are out of society now forever. And they begin one day to try their assault on Webby Hayes. And wouldn't you know it, on the day they begin their massive assault on Webby Hayes, and they try to assault his fort, and they're throwing, and Webby Hayes and them are throwing rocks and fighting them off what appears on the horizon on the same day. Remember the time frames we're talking about? Weeks and months? On the day of the assault on Webby Hayes, the ship appears with Pell shirt on it to come rescue everybody and get the silver. Well, uh-oh, now we have an issue. Webby Hayes realizes he has to get to that ship before the mutineers get to that ship because the mutineers are going to get on there and kill everybody. The mutineers realize they have to get to that ship because if Webby Hayes gets there first, he's going to tell them they're mutineers and they're all going to die. And they each start sprinting to their own separate rafts to get in their rafts and sail out, row out to this ship that's coming in and be all, ha, ah, wait. And it's a mad dash. And Webby Hayes gets there first. Gets on the ship, tells Pelshirt what's happening. Right as he's doing this, the mutineers are coming up. Pelshirt finds out about the mutineers, turns a cannon on them, and says, drop your weapons now. They do. They surrender. They're all saved. Well, not necessarily all saved. You see, they took Cornelius back on the island. Remember, this is the 1600s, mind you. They took Cornelius back on the island, strapped him to a wooden platform they made, did some horrible form of waterboarding where they essentially tie a sack around your neck and they filled it up with water so water would pour in through your nostrils and your your head would fill up with water. It would come out of your eyeballs. And then they sat him down, set his hands down, and used a hammer and chisel to saw his hands off. And then they hung him, which is a fate better than he deserved, to be frank. They were rescued. That is the story of the Batavia. The woman, in case you're wondering about the beautiful woman, the woman was ostracized by her fellow women when they got back to the port. Her fellow women were obviously extremely resentful. They actually said she was one of the mutineers. They were resentful of the fact she was eating and drinking and having the company of one man while they were being used like the village bicycle by every other man. They eventually actually exonerated her, though. She went on, they think, this is lost in history, they think she went on to live a long life. Her husband had actually been killed when she was on the island, so he was gone. Pellshirt died not long after that. But you know what the story of the Batavia is? Hang on. We don't like to think of ourselves as normal, right? You don't like to think of yourself as normal. I don't like to think of myself as normal. I hate that. But aren't we? Most of us? It's not an insult. The truth is, most people are pretty normal. 
We like to think of ourselves as extraordinary. Well, that guy's so boring. I'm super interesting. That guy's, man, he's dumb. Sucks he's not smart like me. There's a reason they call it average, because that's what most of us are. It is the most horrible people and the best people who make this world go round, for better and for worse. You get a a ship full of 300 people, and you're going to have 298 people who are normal. And you're going to have one lion, and you're going to have one demon. And we need to keep that in mind when we survey the landscape of America right now. Because America is not somehow separate from that fact of life. We we yell at these politicians. We yell at these pundits as being all evil or all angels. And I fall into this trap too. I'm not, not pointing fingers. They are horrible. Our people are great. The truth is this. They're a bunch of average sheep, and we are a bunch of average sheep. And what you're banking on in life is you get a Webby Hayes on your side and not a Cornelius. And that's all you're banking on, man. We don't like to think of ourselves as normal, as society is normal. We're all these extraordinary human beings. We're not. I'm not. I'm just a dude. <laughs> you you hear it every day? I eat red lobster. Try to be a good dad. Fail. Work out. Not as much as I should. Drink too much. Get short-tempered with people. Drive too fast. Lose my temper on the road. Go to church. Sometimes. Sometimes I skip it. I, I can, I'm just like you. I am. I'll tell you what. I'm unique. I've got this figured out. Everybody else, they're stupid. That's not true. That's not true. We have to accept that sometimes you live in extraordinary times and you should strive to be Webby Hayes because the truth of the matter is this. You don't get to control whose island you end up on. That's why we don't like thinking about that stuff. Think about their specific circumstances. Think about the priest's family. They could easily, with one decision made by somebody else, have been put on Webby Hayes' island. Would have been protected, safe, fed, water. Instead, a young boy spent his last moments on this planet in the darkness surrounded by monsters about to get eaten. In absolute terror. And that's tough for us to think about. And I I have all these emails all the time now. And you're welcome to call in 877-377-4373-877-377-4373-jesse-at-jessekellyshow.com. I have all these emails about what do we do? What do we do? Look, you can reach out to your politicians via social media easily and let them know how you feel, as I've told you before, and you should. The president of the United States of America, your governor, your mayor, your congressman, your senator are more accessible to you now than they ever have been at any point in the history of the United States of America. You have more power now to speak to them than you ever have. You think it's hard to get a hold of them now? Try being in the 70s. They're not taking your call, Jack, and you can't email them either. Have fun sitting down with your, you know, did they use the quills and ink still back then and firing off a letter that you seal with a wax seal and hope he sees it one day? You're never getting a letter back. Right now, if you so choose, you can get online on Twitter. Trump lives on Twitter. I know you maybe 
past your days to get on it, but President of the United States lives on there. I know for a fact he reads it. I know for a fact he reads my timeline. You can get on there right now and talk to the President of the United States. And I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but there's a good chance he sees it. You could send him one tweet every single day, and I promise you he would see it eventually. He spends that much time on there. You can only control what you can control. You can. By the way, I should mention as far as Webby Hayes goes, know that his life turned out just all right, and that is a very good thing. He was promoted immediately to sergeant until he got back to the Netherlands. They promoted him immediately to lieutenant. They figured out, uh, yeah, this is a special human being. He's still celebrated to this day as a national hero in the Netherlands. Kind of cool, right? Kind of cool. One man taking charge, doing the hard, scary thing, and saving other people. Good for him. Now, that's all the heavy stuff there. I have 8,000 different headlines I have to get to that Chris has printed out for me and I've ignored throughout the week. You know I'm going to get to them. It's also an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, and I'm going to begin with those questions now. I haven't really vetted these yet, so let us begin. Dr. Jesse, has online dating played a role in the sissification of Western men? They now no longer, they now, I think she meant to say now no longer, they no longer need to summon the guts to approach a girl face to face. I don't know about the online dating thing, but I will tell you this. I have witnessed this eight trillion times in my lifetime, and this is what I've seen. And I know you've seen it too. If you're a dude and you look around and eventually you'll see some dime and she'll be with some dude who's flat out ugly. And you know what you say to yourself? You say this as a cop out. I know I've said it too. You say, ha. Dude must be rich. Sure, she's a gold digger. Sometimes that's true. Sure, women can be gold diggers. I'm not not saying they're saints like everyone else does. But you know what oftentimes is the case there? He was the one with the guts to go ask her out. Every single beautiful woman I have ever known in my entire life, has, and I mean everyone, has said the exact same thing to me. Nobody asks me out. Go read these interviews with the, the, all the fancy models and stuff like that out there. They'll, they're almost always asked, actresses, whoever all the beautiful people are. They're almost always asked, who are you dating? Why aren't you dating anyone? Almost every single one will say, nobody asks me out. The truth is, A hundred dudes, just like on the Batavia, will look at a beautiful woman and think, oh, she's probably dating an athlete or something out of my league. And there's always one dude, doesn't have to be the best looking, doesn't have to be the richest. There's one dude who rolls up and says, hi, I'm Jesse. Let's go get a steak. Actually, forget that. Let's get a red lobster. What, Chris? All right, it's guest time. Hang on. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE that gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 